0: All these things happened unto them for ensembles, that they are ridden for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the age has come. Therefore let him that thinketh he stand and take heed lest he fall. They hath no temptation overtaken you, that such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tested. Above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say.
1: Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day, word for word, from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. And today, we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to The Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed, Calvary, life that never ends. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse eleven, sets a warning before us. God recorded past examples for the benefit of you and me today, upon whom the ends of the ages are come. These examples were written as instruction that we should learn from them not to be tempted to self-sufficiency rather than trusting in the living God. Well, here is Dr. Mitchell.
0: Thank you. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you, and we are still studying the book of Corinthians, and we're in chapter 10. You remember in our past lessons, we've been dealing here in chapter 10, the first 15 verses, with the example of history, of how God can do so much for his people, and then God's people take advantage of that and rebel against God. Now, in chapter 8, you remember we had the responsibility of a brother to another brother. Our our responsibility to the brethren. When we come to chapter 9, we have the Apostle Paul giving his own witness, his own testimony that Christ must be preeminent. And when Christ is preeminent, then we became burdened for lost men and women, as well as the caring for God's people. And so he takes chapter 10 and gives to us the witness of history of the people of Israel. Now, believe at the time I mentioned we ought to read 105th and 106th Psalm where we have this history, just a little capsule of that history in those two Psalms. And in the first five verses, we had the blessings of God upon Israel, how God led them, protected them, delivered them, and sustained them. God did everything for them. He took a race of slaves and made them a tremendous nation and they balked, if I can use that term. They were all one in, in Moses, and God delivered them out of Egypt and from their bondage, and they never again went back to Egypt. So I read they were taken out of bondage. They became a nation. Then God supplied their, their needs. He gave them bread from heaven, as you have in Exodus 16. And then in chapter 17 of Exodus, he gave them water from the rock, And that rock was Christ. And yet I read, God was not pleased with them. Why wasn't God pleased with them? Because they were murmuring, full of unbelief. And we again remind you from Hebrews chapters 3 and chapter 4, that unbelief persisted in produces hardness. And unbelief is the product of an evil heart. And this is so exemplified in Israel. The danger is not in leaving Egypt. The danger is to die in the wilderness. And before you get through, you find that they all perished in the wilderness, except two men, Caleb and Joshua. They were the only two of that generation that came out of Egypt and came into the promised land. And that generation, that old generation, which God blessed so much, as I said again, and I don't mind repeating it, he led them and he protected them, he delivered them, and he sustained them. And they abused their privileges in God. And we're taking up here some of those things in verse 6. These are examples to the intent, we should not lust after evil things. We had that in verse 6. I suggest Numbers chapters 11 and chapter 21, where they were yearning for the flesh pots of Egypt. You know, it's an amazing thing. They forgot their slavery. They forgot what they endured in Egypt, but they did not forget the leeks and the garlic and the onions and the cucumbers and the melons. Amazing thing, isn't it? How easy it is for Christians today It's so easy for us to forget what we are in Christ. We forget our relationship to the living God. We are his sons and daughters if we've accepted the Savior. And we forget the marvelous things we have in Christ. Why? Well, we're just like the Israelites. They lusted for the things of Egypt. And how easy it is for God's people today to lust for the things of the world from which God has delivered us. Remember, the world is an enemy of God. In 1 John chapter 2, from about verse uh, 15 on, Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world." And the world is going to pass away. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I'm quoting 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. I repeat it, this is given for our admonition unto whom the end of the age has come. Remember that in verse eleven. These things happen for examples to us, illustrations to us, those of us who belong to the Savior. So they lusted. They forgot his deliverance. They forgot his protection. They forgot how he led them out of slavery. They forgot the slavery, but remembered the lusts of Egypt. May the Lord speak to your heart and my heart concerning this. Remember again, Israel abused her privileges. And you and I have privileges in Christ Jesus. May we not abuse them. In fact, the more privilege God gives to us, the greater is our responsibility to God. Now let's pass on from there. I've just been repeating some things I've said in the last lessons. In verse 8, in verse 7, pardon me, in verse 7, neither be idolaters, it was some of them. We had that too. They worshiped the molten calf. You find that story in the book of Exodus, chapter 32. And they were saved from the judgment of God by the intercession of this man, Moses. Oh, it's an amazing thing. They not only were delivered from the things of Egypt, but they were delivered from the idolatry of Egypt. So when they came out into the desert, into the wilderness, and they were tested and tried, Although God sustained this whole nation, sustained them on heavenly food and gave them to drink water from the rock, they forgot the whole thing concerning the living God and lusted for the things of Egypt and for the idolatry which breaks out. When they came into the wilderness, they brought their idolatry with them. Now, they were not going to make another God. Remember that. They were not seeking to make another God, but they made a calf as if God were like a calf. They made something in the likeness of God, and the condition of their hearts revealed what they made, a calf. Do you remember the judgment of God upon them? Then verse 8, you have the next thing. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. You find that story, by the way, in Numbers chapter 25. Remember when God brought Israel out of Egypt, they were not to join themselves to the other nations, which were idolatrous, which were corrupt. And here you find them, they come down to the border of Moab. The Moabites were the descendants of Lot. And here a great many of the people of Israel committed fornication with the Moabites and the judgment of God fell upon them. In fact, it was so open, one dragged a woman right down in the middle of Israel. They were delivered by the Levites. I don't want to go into the story except to mention the fact. Not only did they lust for the things of Egypt and brought idolatry out of Egypt, but they also brought out immorality. They committed fornication. Then in verse 9, neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. You remember that passage is in Numbers chapter 21. I'm going to read a verse. It gives you the whole thing. I read this in verse 5. And the people speak against God. Notice it. Who brought them out of Egypt? Who led them? Who delivered them? Who blessed them? Who sustained them? God did. Listen. The people speak against God and against Moses. This is what they say. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. They lost the divine provision. You have the same thing in chapter 11 of Numbers. Remember? Uh, they were the mixed multitude lost They wept and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish we did eat in in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, and now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna, before our eyes. And I was so loath of this light food. Again, I say they rebelled against the divine provision for their daily need. Let us not be like them when they tempted the Lord and they were destroyed of the serpents. You remember? Poisonous serpents came upon them. They cried unto God, unto Moses. Moses came before God and he said, take a a serpent of brass, make a a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and everyone who looks lives. If you don't look, you die. I'm reminded of that verse in John chapter 3 when the Lord is dealing with Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, about being born again, about being born of the Spirit and born of the Word. And to bring it down to Nicodemus's level, he said, you remember when the folks were back there in the wilderness, Serpent on the pole, whoever looked, lived. Then he gives John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He's going to be lifted up. And just that the Jews back yonder in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, through a bitten of a poisonous serpent, they just had to look. That's obedience, that's faith, that's trust. You mean? You just look. That's what God says. If you just look at the serpent, you'll be healed. All you have to do is just look. And all you have to do today, my friend, from the poison of sin and death, so look at him. For just as God raised up, as Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness, that whoever looked lived, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes, is, that means to put your trust in, it's not an assenting to some historical fact. It's a relationship between you and the one who hung on a cross, bearing your sin and my sin, was buried and was raised again from the dead and exalted to be a prince and a savior. Just as in, in Numbers 21, they looked and lived. May we look and believe and live. It's what you have here. And then in verse 10, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. It's ever the sign of unbelief. Murmur is ever the sign of unbelief. Remember, they murmured 10 times in Numbers chapter 14, verse 22. God says 10 times they murmured. What made them murmur? They allowed their circumstances to come between them And God, and the result is murmuring. You see, my friend, God has great patience with us in our weaknesses. But when we become filled with unbelief and become stiff-necked, then God disciplines us. I repeat that statement. God has tremendous patience with you and me in our frailty, in our weaknesses but it's when we get full of unbelief and stiff-necked, stubborn, then God has to judge, has to discipline us. Ten times, he said, and how often, I say this very frankly, how often we permit circumstances to come between ourselves and God. It's so easy to be occupied with our circumstances. And one reads it over and over and over again. And we hear it over and over again. He is a child of God. They've trusted the Savior. The Lord has led them out of things that were in their lives. And they go on with the Lord, and then, first you know they have some problems. It may be they have an affliction. Maybe they've got to go to the hospital. Maybe some friend dies. Someone in the family dies. Something happens in business. And we murmur, we murmur. We say to God, why should this be to me? Why should this be to me if my, if you're my heavenly father and if you care for me, why this? And so we say, why to God? We're not trusting him. That's murmuring, my friend. We do not murmur at men. We murmur at God. And the danger is for you and for me. I'm right there with you. I too have to go through times of testing and trial and how easy it is for, this, for Satan to put into your mind, well, if you really love God, you know, you wouldn't go through this. You wouldn't have this problem. So he makes you question. He makes you doubt the living God as your father. The Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. He makes you doubt the precious promise, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We question the fact that he loves us with an everlasting love. But Satan's a liar. May God grant we'll never murmur. Do you notice they never murmured in Egypt. They didn't feel very good when the taskmasters came, but who did they blame for that? They blamed Moses for that. They blamed Moses for the taskmasters. We were getting along pretty good in our slavery, you know, Moses, until you stepped into the picture and wanted us to leave, and now we're under the taskmasters. And the they boiled over onto Moses and Aaron. God led them out of the Red Sea from their enemies into the land, into the wilderness, sustained them, cared for them, protected them. The first test they howl against God. They're not satisfied with the divine provision. Our soul loathed this light food. And they murmured against God and against Moses. You see, friend, that's the footage of unbelief. And I come right back to Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. Unbelief is the product of an evil heart. And unbelief persisted in leads to hardness. But now the warning in verses 11 to 15. God gives us a warning. Let me read it to you. Now all these things happened unto them for ensembles that they are ridden for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age come. Therefore let him that thinketh he stand and take heed lest he fall. They hath no temptation overtaken you, that such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tested. Above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Now, here you have. These things were written for our example. These first ten verses, the blessings of God and the discipline of God. I ask myself the question, am I abusing my privileges in Christ? Are you abusing the grace of God, your privilege in Christ? He's redeemed you. He's forgiven you. He's made you his child. He's given you eternal life, guarantees you eternal glory. Do we despise these privileges and run off to the world to be satisfied? We remember some of the things from which God has delivered us. As we look back, we say, well, they weren't too bad after all. You know, everybody's doing it. Yes, my friend, the trouble is too many Christians run their lives according to the society in which they live instead of walking as the children of God, redeemed, bought with a price. I say again how easy it is for us. to despise our privileges in Christ. Just a word and I'm through today, verses 11 and 12. All these things were written, happen unto them as examples to us, unto whom the end of the ages come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Here is a warning against pride, verse 11 to 12. And how often the Lord warns us about this root sin, pride. You remember in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, the sin of Satan, the sin of the devil, was pride. You go back to Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, you remember? Satan said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of heaven. I will be like the Most High. His arrogancy... Is yes, pride. And pride produces envy. And when I go to Proverbs fourteen thirty, 30, what does it say? Envy is the rottenness of the bones. What caused Eve to fall? Pride. Satan said to Eve, you remember, why don't you eat at the foot of that tree? Oh, no, 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 says Eve. I can't do that. God says, I'm not to eat of it, lest I die. (laughs) Will you die? Will you die? He questions the love of God. He questions the word of God. Why, he said to Eve, God knows the moment you eat thereof, you'll be just like God. And you know, that woman couldn't wait to get her hands on that fruit. Pride. This is how Satan always operates. He questions the love of God. He denies the power of the word of God and rebels against the person of God. Isn't that true today? Men and women today, they rebel against the love of God. They wouldn't declare that. But that's true. We despise the love of God for sinners. We repudiate his precious word. God will not keep his word. As men say, why, Mitchell, if God is love, he's going to take care of all of us. But love has made provision for you to be delivered from sin. How can a man or a woman in sin ever stand before a holy, righteous God? Listen to you who are not saved, if I'm talking to you today. How are you going to stand before the living God? In sin? Why, the very righteous character of God demands judgment. The soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death, and God executes the penalty. But you, if you spurn his love, manifested in his precious son, there's nothing left but judgment. This is what the Israelites did. They despised his grace, and hence came under the discipline and judgment of God. You and I gonna do the same thing? May God grant to you today, if you're not a Christian, remember God has made provision for your salvation. All he wants for you is to accept it in the person of his Son. And to those of you who are Christians, let us learn the lessons. Let us not be like Israel, who despised their privileges in Christ and came under the judgment of God. The more we know about the Savior the greater is our responsibility to walk before Him. Now may you walk before Him today and enjoy His fellowship, His presence, and I trust also His power. The Lord bless you for His precious name's sake.
1: The Unchanging Word is an independent Bible study, and our conviction is that the Word of God has never changed and never will. We trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word Bible Study. Why we a